All right, today my guest is John Berkey, and I'm gonna ask him to share his background with us. But before I do that, I wanna tell you how I first met John. I met him probably about, I think eight or nine years ago at a National Association of Drug Diversion Investigators conference. John was part of the team putting together the conference and his team members graciously included me the first evening when they went out for a meal. And so I had a wonderful time getting to know John and his team and some of the people involved in leadership in that organization at the time. So John, please give us some insight on your background and what led you to get involved with drug diversion prevention. Well, thanks, Jerry. Thanks for having me here. Uh, and I do remember that meal. So we had a good time. Uh, I started, I was, I've been in law enforcement, or I was in law enforcement 49 years. The first 32 years was with the Cincinnati Police Department. And I got, um, I came out of internal affairs and I got into a, a thing called pharmaceutical diversion. And not in 1990, not many people knew what that was, um, but I got into it with, uh, ended up with six investigators and a secretary and myself. And um, one of the things that was unusual in this, we had one guy that we hired actually who had a little bit of experience. Nobody else in law enforcement for the most part in the country had much experience in it. And he had experience in some institutional diversion, some hospital nursing home diversion. Not much, but he had had a couple cases and we were very fortunate. What made this was the Ohio Board of Pharmacy at that time had 12 pharmacists, all of which had hospital pharmacy experience. And their job was to investigate the theft of controlled substances from nursing homes and hospitals. So fortunately we were able to grab them and they, because you can imagine, I mean, we're a bunch of cops and <laughs> the only time we've been in a nursing home or a hospital is when we visited somebody, right? So uh, it's a whole new realm, all different regulations, different laws, but thank goodness for the Ohio Board of Pharmacy and these pharmacists because they, uh, they made all the difference. I don't know if we could have done what we did without them. And they introduced us, they, they schooled us and um, my investigators. It took about, it takes about a year really to get halfway decent at it. And so thank, thank goodness for them. They got us involved in this big time. And then in one of the reasons that I wanted to get involved in this, and I still think today, is there's there's victims here. And, you know, the first victim is, of course, the uh, the potential patient. And then there's another victim, uh, which is the person who's who's uh, addicted. And as you know, this is uh, virtually 100% addiction. This is not trafficking. This is not, hey, I want to do this so I can, you know, I'm going on a vacation. I want to take some, no, it's it's in, it's addiction. And, and so, um, uh, you have those two folks that, that need help and they're very much in danger. Uh, either one, frankly, could pass away from this problem and especially the person who's, who's addicted. So that's how we got involved in it. And um, that's, I guess, why I took such an interest in it. And we were eventually able to work our way into the health facilities. We had one holdout, which we almost locked up the, uh, the, uh, the head of the uh, security department, and he finally uh, got on board. And the and the people from the pharmacy board, you can imagine, had big impact on uh, the uh, the officers and, and and pharmacists in the facilities. So they helped us big time. And then the health, the uh, the nursing homes, uh, we had two or three large uh, pharmacies that did nothing but do nursing homes, and we got those people involved. And we had a couple ladies that were very good detectives. So, uh, so that was our thing. We stayed very busy. We, we ended up arresting about a nurse a week 
um, for several years. And uh, so that's how we got involved in it. And I think it's every bit as important today as it was in 1990. Absolutely, I agree with you. And you know, that collaboration between the investigator law enforcement piece and the pharmacy piece is, is essential. We each bring something different to the table, right? Our background is different, <clears throat> excuse me. And, you know, from a pharmacy perspective, we've got the medication pathway piece of it, which the law enforcement doesn't know, but then we don't necessarily have the investigative piece of it. So it works really well together. So that's, that's great. You are maybe a little bit ahead of your time or at least in your city. And I think that's fantastic. And yeah. where it has grown today, because you're right, it, it's an important uh, it's an important piece of keeping really the victim safe, right? The the healthcare worker. We sometimes forget about that. We think about the patient, but we forget about the healthcare worker. Exactly. So at the time that I met you, you were involved with Natty, but now you have another organization that you're president and co-founder of. So tell us about that. Yeah, so I think in 2015, uh, myself and Kim New and uh, Danny Lucan and a couple others broke off to start the International Health Facility Diversion Association. So it's an organization, nonprofit, that's dedicated totally to the diversion of uh, either nursing homes or, or hospitals. And uh, so it's very specific, smaller number of people. Um, I wouldn't say more diverse. I mean, the majority of them are probably health professionals, pharmacists and nursing managers, but there's HR and there's other folks. And there's some law enforcement and health healthcare security folks. Uh, that are also part of that. So we're we're pretty excited about that. We're unfortunately we didn't have our fifth annual conference because of COVID, but we're hoping to have our our fifth one here in September in Chicago. Okay. What types of things do you offer your membership? Well, we have well, number one thing we have is we have a list server, which um, I, I thought through Natty is can be very valuable. So anybody can come on and ask a question of the hundreds of people that are on the list server. Or some people just stalk it. You know, some people just like to look and see what's going on, and that's okay too. Uh, but then others will get on, and then they'll have maybe a complicated question or maybe something that's more confidential, and so they'll take it offline, off the list server at least. And so they have it. So it's a networking opportunity. Uh, we also have a pretty good library of diversion videos. We have past conferences. Uh, we we took the folks that were supposed to speak in Chicago in 2020 and we've made monthly uh, webinars out of them with CEs. And so if you're a member, you can get in and get that. Um, so, and then of course we, we have had a few regional conferences. We would have had some this year too, but probably gonna wait another year. Uh, and those have been all across the country where we invite people to, to come in and, um, uh, you know, and, and see them face to face. So um, we provide that and I think that, um, Probably the other thing that we provide is the other is the in addition to the listserv, the networking of being able so they can access, um, you know, people that are members and call them, can email them, whatever the person's provided. And, and I think that, you know, it's, it's as you know, the same the problems in California are the same in Michigan and in Ohio and in wherever. I mean, people sometimes we begin to think, oh, we're so unique. Well, we're really not. I found that out in law enforcement, too. So by calling and, and being able to people that have like jobs in totally different venues, um, the ability to help. Well, one of the things is I think we see a lot is people wanting to say set up a, a diversion, either I'll call it like a diversion specialist along with maybe a team that responds and they'll be looking for somebody else's 
to plagiarize somebody else's. I've never, you know, in this business and law enforcement, plagiarism is not a bad word. It's just taking something somebody's already done. So they have the ability to do that. And I think that um, is a big plus form too. Yeah, I agree. And and I will echo that. I have, with the listserv, I have probably done all three of those things. I have stopped, <laughs> I have participated, and I have taken it offline as well. And, you know, good point with the, the, CE availability for the, um, that since the conference had to be canceled in person, but those people that have done the thing, so that's a great avenue for it. And, you know, I will add that the networking is invaluable because you're right when it comes to the plagiarism, there's no point in starting from the beginning. And for those of us that have been in it for a while, we've learned our lessons and we can help you bypass that if you're new and you can learn it. So I think that one of the biggest benefits for me has been definitely the networking and learning from those that are experienced because there's a lot of people that attend and are involved that have a lot of experience and then you bring your newbies on board and that's where the value is from them and i'm going to add too that the cost of joining this group is extremely reasonable especially if you consider the fact that it includes attendance at the conference so the conference price is very inexpensive and very reasonable, but then you get the whole annual membership for that. So uh, for those of you that are not familiar with IHFDA, do check it out because they do have a lot of resources. John, do you have a specific example perhaps of how membership in the group or attendance at a conference made a suspicious it made a real difference for somebody if either individually or as part of for their facility. Yeah, and I, I, I won't get into naming them, but I can give you yeah. a specific example. Uh, we've had groups come, um, the University of Michigan is the one I'm thinking most prominently who came, who had issues, who got fined by the DEA, you know, I don't know, a couple, three million dollars. And there were people and, and they gave their story and then what they did. And most of these places are not trying they're, these are not deliberate things. These are things that technicalities that fall. And that's what happened with them. Well, I guess what I learned was there were a couple different people from two different organizations who listening to their talk and then being able to network with them after the talk, uh, I think they feel like they uh, avoided uh, a bigger problem than they might have had. So, you know, listening to how these things work and what to avoid and, and uh because that's what those people are there for. They're trying to do the right thing. But as you know, these things are not always black and white. And uh, trying and learning from a, from a facility who had gone through all this, uh, the impression I got was they felt uh, that they went back and corrected things and got things on board that maybe kept them from a multi-million dollar fine. So that yeah. was probably one of the biggest. Yeah, and that's a good example of the people that are there and the people that are networking in this group we are not competing with each other and they are very forthright in lessons learned and what they did wrong, right? Not intentionally necessarily, but realize that, oh my goodness, we didn't have that under control. And so you, you really do learn the things that you, you know, your, your pages of notes and you go back, oh, let me check and make sure we're doing that or we're not doing that, right? So yeah, very, very insightful. So I'm curious if you have, you know, we've got the whole COVID pandemic that has been going on this whole year. Do you have any perspective on controlled substance use and monitoring during the COVID pandemic? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, and I don't think it's particularly good. I, I mean, I, 
I had this problem, I'll just give you an example. When we started the pharmaceutical diversion squad at the Cincinnati Police Department, um, they were always looking um, to uh, cut people. And, and if, um, if I didn't keep us in the front and center all the time, uh, and after I left, they did do away with the unit, then, then it seemed like uh, we were always on the chopping block. I think that some of that is similar in, in health facilities. Um, not maybe that the health facility doesn't think that diversion is important, but COVID, uh, let's face it, came to the forefront and it was everybody. And I, I think there's been a certain amount of, hey, all hands on deck. I know what you were doing, but we need you to come over here. And maybe it was thought of to only be a few weeks, but you know, it's probably still going on. And what happens is in those situations uh, is that, I mean, diversion doesn't stop. It's not like that, oh my gosh, COVID's here, so we're gonna stop stealing drugs. And, and I think that in actuality, it may increase it because of the stress I mean, you know, if you were, let's say, somebody on the bubble uh, and COVID comes in and all the things that go with the work that you all do in the hospitals uh, to try and save people's lives, um, I can see that being even a bigger problem. And, and I would guess that maybe even some signs that somebody might see of diversion, they may have been, um, say, overlooked or, or maybe passed over because, hey, we're just so busy. And I mean, I know health professionals, at least back in the strong time, they were working incredible shifts and, and you know, practically needed to be there <laughs> 24 hours a day. So I, I think with the lack of, the, the lack of attention had to go away from diversion. And when that happens, um, I'm afraid it, it, it ramps things up. So I, I would hope that those folks, once you get back to normal, whatever normal is, uh, that you vigorously start your diversion program back up because I think you're gonna find uh, you've got some issues. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, everything had to be switched to the focus, right, is just having enough staff and handling these patients and, and all of the things that go into, you know, pediatric hospitals that I heard were turning into adult hospitals because they needed more space and segregating your hospital into your COVID unit and your, I mean, just so, so much going on. And then not to mention, a lot of the states were taking nurses and other staff from out of state, right? So those are where you could maybe have some problems with people that already have an addiction problem and now slide into a system very easily that wouldn't normally have gone in that direction. So you're right, that there's a lot with that. How about outside of the COVID pandemic, are there any areas that you feel are particularly susceptible to diversion that you find are often overlooked in facilities? I think the one that's um, that's overlooked and it's difficult is the long-term care slash nursing homes. I think they always have been. The problem with, as you know, they may be owned by multiple owners. They may be out of town owners. Uh, they aren't necessarily people that are in town. Uh, you then have um, a situation where, uh, as far as uh, you know, the, the amount of workers and you go on a night shift in a nursing home, you may be down to to one nurse, uh, there may be some other folks there and diversion becomes much easier in those uh, circumstances. I, so I always think that, I mean, there's, a, there's plenty in the hospitals, but I think we have, I don't think we have a real clue on what goes on in nursing homes and long-term care facilities. I really yeah. don't. Yeah, you're right. And I think unfortunately what also might be missed there is if they don't view the resident as a good historian, 
then um, nobody listens, right? I think I there's a problem. And in fact, a friend not too long ago reached out to me because she was she was convinced that they were stealing from her father's supply. But you've got to work on that historian part of it, and you know, believe me that that there's something going on. So yeah, no, I, I agree with you. They tend to they tend to gravitate to those folks that uh, can't tell you whether they got their yeah exactly. So yeah. that that creates another issue. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I agree with you. So what is the favorite part about the work that you're doing currently? Well, my favorite part, I think I would have to say, is still feeling like we're making a difference. Now, it's not near enough, but it's a lot more than when I started. And um, I love working with the people at IHFDA, people like you, who who understand and are doing everything they can to, to uh, prevent it or deal with it. And so, you know, whenever I hear about, we had a lot of these in Cincinnati where these nurses were put into uh, drug court, we call it. And that was a very um, intense program. And 70% of them, Terry, uh, were successful. And if you know anything about addiction or anybody out there, 70% is an enormous success rate. And some of the officers got embarrassed. They would go to their graduation and they ended up getting hugs and stuff. So they were so, you know, seeing those people having another lease on life that avoided probably overdosing and dying, I mean, those are huge, um, huge things to me. And I, I enjoy, we had a lady a few years ago who what had, was an addict and had her problems and she came on and I, I kind of follow her on, on Facebook and she's doing really, really well. So she's not back in nursing and, and that that's the thing, you may not be able to get back yeah. in nursing, but, you know, number one is you got your life and mm -hmm. you've got a child and and so I think that's the most satisfying thing is thinking that, and I know sometimes people think we're harsh because we're law enforcement, but truly in this situation, we're trying to save a life. And we just, you know, how we deal with it is, um, may disagree on how we deal with it, but I think law enforcement is, I saw it work as an, as an integral part of this is, is saving people. So, so yeah, that's, that's the most satisfying. Uh, in hey, my yeah, making a difference. No, that you're right. That's, that is, that's what it's all about, right? Mm -hmm. All right, before we wrap it up, is there anything additional you would like to share about yourself or the work that you do, or do you want to turn the tables and ask me a question? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm old, as you can tell. When you, when you say you've been in law enforcement almost 50 years, you've got to be old, right? I didn't start you with you. got to be old. I know. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, no, I, I think you've covered everything pretty well. I, I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you because it's uh, uh, you're a great human being, and, and you know you're one of those people that you, you're not the one that's searching necessarily. You're helping these people that are new, uh, giving them information, and we really appreciate that. That's that's pretty cool. Um, well, thank you for collaborating with us, with us uh, healthcare professionals, and bringing another perspective to it, and giving us a venue to share and to learn and to grow. We really appreciate that. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much for your time today, John. Okay. Thank you.